Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? The, the lawyer asked, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring, oil, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will, embrace, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert in the law re replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. When Eric moved into our first uh, home together 20 years ago, right after our wedding, the excitement was something that uh, we could hardly contain. Um, we were two 20-year-olds in love and ready to face the world together and absolutely broke. I am still not sure how we were able to actually rent that home, but you know, nothing could, nothing could take the excitement away. Um, we moved in with our 40 uh, flower vases that we got in our wedding and our 50 picture frames. We had everything we needed to decorate that townhome, except for a little detail called furniture. But you know, not even that got in the way of our excitement. We put our sheets on our mattress on the floor, and everything was perfect until the day when we met our neighbors. It's, it's hard to describe what happened. Um, it all started good. Uh, they brought us this fruit basket. We uh, uh, got together for a couple of nice dinners, um, and then they wouldn't stop asking us to, to, to doggy sit for them. The, we, we doggy sat so much that their dog preferred us. I, I might have taken a couple of trips to PetSmart to get him an organic treats and a bed. I mean, you know. Uh, and it was, you know, it went downhill from there because then um, we had these never-ending conversations about their relationship uh, in which they told us very salacious details about their life together that I'm still trying to forget. It didn't take long for Eric and I to look at each other and just admit to each other that we just don't like them. We just don't like our neighbors. 
Also, it didn't take long before uh, we started shutting all the lights off at night and closing our blinds. And <laughs> Eric, one day in a rage attack, he destroyed our doorbell. And I thought that was a great financial decision for us to lose that deposit, honestly. We never thought about that. Uh, it was worth it. Have you guys felt that way before? Have you had one of those neighbors? Can I hear an amen? Amen. amen. So in today's parable, uh, Jesus asks a very important question. He asks um, the lawyer, which of these three people proved to be a good neighbor? Now, I won't lie to you. Uh, the answer to that question convicted me uh, because it's inconvenient for us. Um, and especially it's especially inconvenient whenever you don't like your neighbors and when you feel that you're stuck with them. I imagine Jesus' words were even harder to hear for the lawyer because Jews and Samaritans just did not get along. They had a long, ongoing history of uh, political, cultural, religious conflicts going between them that dated back centuries to the time of the patriarchs in the Old Testament. I am sure that lawyer grew up hearing that good Jews like himself were not friends with Samaritans. I'm sure he grew up hearing that Samaritans are not his neighbors, that Samaritans are his enemies. So can you imagine the lawyer before Jesus having to admit to Jesus that this Samaritan was the good neighbor over those two highly respected Jewish men, a priest and a Levite who was basically a priest's assistant? I'm sure that was hard. Yet Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on to deconstruct all of the lawyer's preconceived notions about the two commandments, about salvation, and he shows him that the rules of the kingdom of God are holy and are different from the rules that we live by. Even more so, Jesus opens our eyes to the reality that he did not come down to earth to dwell within our, our conflicts, our divisions, our pettiness. He didn't come down to earth to do his redemptive work within all of those things that separate us. Instead, Jesus came down to earth to show us a different way to love, a different way to be. He came to show us a higher calling and how to follow that higher calling. So this higher calling that Jesus exemplifies does not allow us to choose our neighbor based on our preferences, based on whether we like them or not, based on whether they cook deer chili for you every five hours like our neighbors did in our first home. It, you know, doesn't let us choose our neighbors based on our preference. Jesus says that even our enemies are our neighbors. Now, I do know that some of you are thinking, um, well, yeah, we, those conflicts in the Middle East are so serious. We need to pray for them. Yes, and we do need to pray for peace. But those types of issues and divisions are not uncommon um, you know, around the world, and they're not uncommon among us. I think that we're all prone to building walls, to calling each other names, to deciding who's in, who's out. We're all prone to forget about the poor, about the sick, about the lonely. We hate our enemies. 
Yeah, some of the divisions that we might create might not be as steep as the divisions between Samaritans and Jews, yet no matter how big or small they are, they still go against the rules of the kingdom of God. So, in one of his books, uh, author Max Lucado, very famous author, shares the story about one of his friends growing up. He remembered Jerry uh, and what happened to Jerry after one of the parents discovered that his father was an alcoholic. Suddenly, the parents wouldn't allow the other kids to play with this boy, and he became an outcast in their midst, even though he lived right next door. This is what he wrote. He says, kids can be hard, and for some reason, we were all hard on Jerry. He was infected like the leopard. He suffered from a condition he did not create. He was put outside the village. The divorced know this feeling. So do the disabled. The unemployed have felt it, and the less, edu the less educated. Some shun unmarried moms. We keep our distance from the depressed and avoid the terminally ill. We have neighborhoods for immigrants, schools for the simple, centers for the addicted, and prisons for the criminals. The rest simply try to get away from it all. Only God knows how many Jerry's are in involuntary exile, living lonely lives infected by their fear of rejection and the memories of the last time they tried. Now, I hesitated to make it personal today because it's too painful for me at times to think about the ways in which we tear each other apart, in which we create dividing walls, in which we, we build this unforgiveness in our heart, rejecting God's higher calling for our lives. So I hesitated to share this story with you because up to 2017, up to last year, was the year when only I had experienced racism, racism in my family. And then it was my kid's turn. And the three of us used to love going to Chick-fil-A during the summer. Uh, we didn't need an excuse. We just kind of went there. They played. They would run into the playground, start playing. I would order, find us a table, and they would come and eat whenever they wanted. But this time was different. As I returned from ordering, I approached the table, and I found these two terrified kids. I said, what's wrong? Why are you guys out here? And Joelle composed herself. She was about to cry. And she said, well, the lady in the playground just asked Cohen to leave. So I decided to leave with him. And I said, but why? She said that he's too tall for the, for the playground. I said, well, you're taller than he is. She said, yeah, I know. So I just instinctively walked towards the playground and asked, the lady very nicely said, excuse me, did you just ask my son to leave the playground? And he got, she got very agitated and said, well, he's too tall for this playground. I said, well, I'm really confused because my daughter is taller than my son. Oh, I didn't know that was your daughter. And I was like, yeah, she is my daughter, and that's my son. And she got even more agitated. And she said, you all just need to go back to where you came from. At first, I thought, I was like, why does she want me to go back to the church? I mean, that's, that's exactly where I had come from. I mean, I was like, that's really confusing to me. Boom. But then it dawned on me that she meant that I should go back to Ecuador and that my kids needed to go back to Missouri, I guess. I, it was like really confusing. 
But it was true that I, I couldn't believe it, but it was true that she asked my son to leave the playground because he's the darker skin of my two kids, like me. Now, I can go into detail about how traumatic that experience was for me and the kids, especially for the kids. They still refuse to even use the drive-through at that Chick-fil-A. Every time we use the 59 feeder, feeder um, in that road, my, my daughter will point at Chick-fil-A and say, Mommy, that's where that mean lady hurt you and my brother. The only reason I, I, I share that story is because I want us to come to grip to, with the reality that our tendency to tear each other apart is still there. The tendency to forget those who are suffering and in pain is still there. That's the reason why this parable of the Good Samaritan is so relevant for us today. It's so powerful. It brings healing to our hearts. Because Jesus shows us through this parable a different way to be, to live. He exalts the ones that's, that's the lowest in, according to his world's standards, and he brings down the proud. He tells basically this Samaritan, this lawyer, that the ones that get God's attention from his sky-high view are the merciful. And they get God's attention because they're not just reciting commandments, but they're living them. As we struggled with the flu a couple of weeks ago, we were at the sick waiting room with my son Cohen and this girl kept coming, like running everywhere. You know how it is. I mean, kids everywhere. It's confusing. But this girl just had a lot of energy. She came my way and looked at me and said, hi. And I was thinking to myself, hi, little girl. You're cute, but don't give me the flu. Uh, and uh, she basically came over anyway and grabbed my phone and my purse. And I was like, OK, I want those back, but I don't want to go get them because you have the flu. So I stared at her mom so she could intervene and get my phone and my purse back. The mean stare. And the mom intervened and said, like, hey, honey, come here. Give that nice lady back her, her purse and her phone. And they brought them over. And anyways, long story short, the mom said, Why? I thought you were not feeling well. Why are you running all over the place? She's like, I'm not feeling well, mommy. And um, then suddenly, the girl kept running. And the mom said, no, 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 come here. Why are you behaving this girl this way? And the girl responded, I'm just not a good person, OK? And I was like, whoa, mind blowing. And we were laughing so hard because she really meant what she said. And I kind of wish that we could just say that sometimes. Whenever we're in those awkward situations when we don't do the right thing and we don't behave the right way, I just want to tell sometimes, I want to have that girl's honesty and say, I'm just not a good person, OK? Let's move on with this. That is the reality that hunts us down whenever we're apart from God. We're just empty vessels. We have nothing to give. Uh, so we're just not good persons. And that right there, that's, that's the secret. That's the reality. That's, that's the first step towards mercy. And mercy is complicated because it's not, uh, it doesn't have to do with behavior modification. Uh, mercy is a virtue. And that's the reason why this parable starts with the two first commandments. 
uh, it says, love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's for a reason. And the reason is in 1 John chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. It says, we love because God first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates a brother or sister, that person is a liar. Because the person who doesn't love a brother or sister who can be seen can't love God who cannot be seen. When the pure, unmerited love of God sinks in to our hearts. When we realize that that's the kind of love that will go and find us anywhere we are and forgives us and saves us, then our natural reaction is to try to love others sacrificially. And this is a hard reality because we're called to love others sacrificially even if we fail and even if they fail us. Whenever we love with this kind of love that God puts in our hearts, we're no longer able to see our neighbor left for dead on the side of the road and not do anything about it. Because that love of God convicts us, stops us from tearing each other apart, and shows us, and shows us the way to live in this high calling in which even our enemies are our brothers and sisters in Christ. That is a powerful mystery. You know, the Samaritan is lifted up in this torrid because he's a godly person. Whenever he sees his neighbor laying on the side of the road, hurt, left for dead, the Samaritan doesn't stop and think, I wonder if this person's a Jew before I help him. He doesn't think, oh my goodness, if he's a Jew, then there's a history of problems we have with each other. Maybe I should think twice about helping him. He doesn't think, oh my gosh, what would people think if I bring a Jewish man to the inn? He doesn't think if this man des- stop to think if this man deserves his help. He actually goes in debt for this stranger that the world calls his enemy. The Samaritan is different because he submits to the will of God. He submits to a greater love, he submits to a greater calling. And that is the example that Jesus is lifting up for us here today. Now, some of us have better ways to cover up our pasts, our mistakes, the things we've been through, the terrible scars that sin has left in our lives, the ways in which we have been also left like dead on the road because of sin. But we've all been there. And that is the moment when for us, Jesus becomes the ultimate good Samaritan. Because Jesus, having rule and dominion over everything, just to come in one of the lowliest possible states that he could ever come in. And he came just to find us in, that, in the middle of the road, left for dead, to rescue us, to heal us, to restore us. He, he paid our debt. And he continues to give it all for us. That is the mystery of God's love. And that is a higher calling, a higher type of love. Now, 
Every once in a while, I ask myself if I saw this Chick-fil-A lady again, which I don't know how I'm going to do that. We don't go to that Chick-fil-A anymore, but, you know, if I saw some of my enemies from before, if I saw some of the people that have hurt me so much, would I be able to prove that I'm a good neighbor for them? It, it's, and this was a predicament for me because it would be hard. It would be very hard. I don't want to stand up here and lie to you. But the one thing I will tell you is that the more I allow God's work to, 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 within me, the more I allow God to come and take over my heart, my soul, when I, the more I love God with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength, the, most, the more doable it seems to me. The closer I become to facing these enemies, enemies of mine, and just say, even though you failed me, you're still my brother or my sister in Christ. The beauty of what God does within me is that it does not allow me to be fake. It doesn't allow me to be petty. It doesn't allow me to exclude, to hate. And it doesn't leave me to do all of these things in my own strength, through my own strength. I can tell you today that because of the work that God is doing within me, he is my source of strength, my guide, my joy, my peace. He is the beginning of mercy for me. So I know that if you are yet to experience that kind of love, that kind of just ferocious love of God, I hope that today will be the day in which you will allow the power of God's love to come within you and to allow you to break down the barriers that have separated you from God and from your neighbors for so long. I want us all to remember that that great love is the beginning of mercy. And that's the kind of love that God calls us to through the Good Samaritan story. Let us go to God in prayer. Father, I am just in awe of the things that you're doing in this congregation, the ways in which you are moving, transforming our hearts, making us new, making us whole. I pray, Father, today that it will be by your strength and not by ours that we will be able to overcome even the greatest obstacles that are separating us from those who, whom we should love. Father, sometimes we don't know where, how things could be healed, how we could forgive, but it is through your love that we have strength. Give us the wisdom to know how to manage those very difficult situations so that our love may be authentic like your love so that our mercy will be authentic like your mercy. Have mercy on us, Father, because we have failed, yet you give us hope. And you are with us to the end. So we thank you. In your name I pray. Amen.